So welcome aboard, well, Ali Abdal, and thank you for joining us in today's podcast video session. It means a lot that you Thanks for having me, man. This is fun. Thank you. So uh, today's a podcast session. We specifically have some topics when we go for videos, but uh, now I know what you are into and how you can help the uh, audience that listens to my podcast and my content. So. First and foremost, I'm going to start by saying this. Uh, my friend Ali recommended me to watch your videos because his mom annoyed him. Uh, but I already like your videos because I like the type of content that Matt Diavela makes. So overall, it was really fun to see you. Thank you. Sick. Well, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to, to chatting. Sir. So, okay. So first question is like, can you define your YouTube journey? Because I know that uh, in the past two years, you've got the most, uh, I guess, boost in the YouTube algorithm. So how do you think, like, what's your YouTube journey? Yeah, so I think uh, the YouTube journey is similar to um, a lot of, like, if you're, if you're starting out doing this sort of stuff, you want to start off very, very, very niche. Um, and so when I started YouTube, I started um, making videos for people applying to medical school in Cambridge. And then kind of expanded out a little bit with videos about life as a medical student in Cambridge, and then expanded that a little bit to kind of people applying to medical school in general with interview tips. Uh, and it was only after I made about 50 of those videos that I started to sort of branch out to more general stuff. So I made a video about my desk setup and then a video about how to study for exams. Um, and then those sort of slowly expanded the audience over time. And then I made a video about my iPad and started sort of branching out into tech stuff. So I think the general advice would be if you're starting anything, start off really, really, really small and then sort of serve that audience well, and then over time you can expand. And I think one of the mistakes people make when they start off with YouTube or a podcast or something is that they start off too broad. Like if you're starting a YouTube channel for the first time and your very first video is 10 productivity tips, that's way too broad. Like there's no targeting to that audience. But if your very first video is how I use this app Room Research to keep track of my notes and take notes at the same time, that's, that's somewhat specific. And then you might be, be able to get people into your channel through that specific thing. So that was kind of my journey, starting off small and then broadening out over time. That explains it all because I think uh, the creator space in general, if uh, the fact that we love YouTube for a reason is because we are personal content creators, because we go through the same stuff that normal people do. So I think, yeah, that's how uh, people like you are beating YouTube's algorithm to death. That's the thing. I love that thing. You're being you. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I think, I think uh, Matt Diavella actually tweeted something at some point. He said, um, be so good that you don't have to. He said, be so good that you can ignore the algorithm. And I think that's actually a really good piece of advice for any YouTuber. We all think, oh, you know, titles, thumbnails, meta tag, blah, 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 You know, the algorithm's not being good to me. But, you know, to do what Matt Diavella does, he doesn't care about the algorithm. He does it amazingly well. You know, just make really, really, really good videos and you don't need to worry about the algorithm. Yeah, I agree with that. So, uh, I'm going to begin with this. You have such a wide portfolio, like, and you were into coding since you were 13. You learned HTML and CSS. And I'm a computer science engineering student. By the way, we had a podcast with your brother, Tamar. We had a podcast. Really? No way. <laughs> yeah, we, did, we did have a podcast. And we also we made an audio version of that. But I'm still waiting for my video gear so that we can go ahead and start with all the video podcasts. So we talked about data science because yeah. data science. <laughs> so 
I wanted to ask you, do you still code? Uh, not really. Um, I know enough about the basics of it so that if I'm sort of hiring someone to redesign my website, uh, I know I've got enough of a design coding background to kind of know what's going on. But I think at this point, it's high leverage for me to hire someone else to do it for me rather than to do it myself. So do you miss the feeling of the perfectly implemented code? Um, I think I kind of get that feeling when it comes to videos. Okay. The nice thing about code is that you just, you type something and it happens on screen. It's similar to videos as well. Like, so I, I sort of miss it to an extent. It's quite, it's quite fun coding, but I think, yeah, it, it's, it's something that once you've done it for like 10 years, you're like, eh, well, <laughs> I can now hire someone else. So it's good. It's good. So, uh, I have many friends, uh, actually couple of my nice. best You've got many friends <laughs> <laughs> i have many friends all right so couple of my best friends like brothers uh, uh they are doing the mbbs so they were really interested in uh wait a second what inspired you to be a doctor in first place even if you love the tech background so much what, what inspired you to be a doctor um i don't have a very good answer to this because um it was between medicine and computer science for me but i thought that it's more interesting to be a doctor who codes than to just be a coder, no offense. Uh, and you know, when you're Asian and you get reasonable grades, doing medicine is like a pretty standard route. Uh, and so I thought, uh, and, and, and so I thought that would, that would be reasonable. But I think the main thing that sold it for me was that when you do medicine, you're spending six years at university. When you do computer science, you spend three years at university. Everyone says university is the best time of your life. Ergo, six years is better than three years. And that was sort of the main, the main reason why I did medicine. <laughs> All right, that, uh, okay, that answers it. So, how do you manage being a full-time junior doctor and being a yeah. YouTuber? And like, which one do you prefer? Like, which one do you like the most? Like, obviously you're gonna say that I love both, but what's the one that, where you want to spend your most time on? That, that is so, um, a few, a, a few weeks ago, I did, I did, I did one of those exercises uh, yeah, a few weeks ago, I did, I did one of those exercises where you kind of write down a list of everything that makes you happy. Uh, and I got 20 or something items down on that list. And I realized that nothing to do with medicine was on that list. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, being a doctor is cool. Uh, but if I were to design my ideal life, I think I would only want to do it for maybe two or three days a week. I very much would want to do it part time. I don't think any job is fun full time. I think every job is better if you can cut down your hours. And so a big part of my whole spiel is encouraging people to, you know, build sources of passive income and do this other stuff, which then gives you the freedom to be able to go part time with your jobs. So you don't have to be you know, shackled necessarily to a job that you might not enjoy. But yeah, no, I, I enjoy being a doctor. It's fun. Uh, but if I had to choose one, it would be doing Internet business creatory type things rather than being a doctor. That's good. So, you know, as we know, robotics or in general, technology is working hand in hand with medicine, right? So what do you think will be the future of uh, medicine with technology being involved into it? So what's your take on that? Uh, I, don't, I don't really have any hot takes on that. I think it's all pretty standard stuff. Like uh, there's a... I feel like, at least in the UK, medicine is very far behind where technology says it should be. Um, you know, there's lots of hospitals here that still use paper and notes and we don't have electronic patient records, which is just such a basic, basic thing that you would think someone would have solved. 
but actually we're still kind of right handwriting on paper, um, which is a bit ridiculous. I think there's a lot of scope for uh, image analysis uh, in the field of interpreting x-rays and CT scans and ECGs and things. There's been a lot of stuff over the years, like, you know, we've known how to read an ECG, uh, you know, heart tracing for like 30 years, but we tend not to use that in general day-to-day -day practice. We tend to get a doctor to look at the thing and be like, okay, this is normal, or this person's having a heart attack, when we know from, from the evidence that a machine can probably do that better. So it's, it's all this sort of stuff, and I, I think, at least in the UK, medicine and technology is held back by the fact that it's a very state healthcare system. Whereas in America, because it's more privatized, there's more of a profit motive, um, there's, more of a, there's more of an onus for, for change to happen. Uh, you know, surgery in general now is getting automized with these robots and we've got so many things coming up, lined up for, but it's for future. So I wanted to know what's your take on that. That's, that explains it. Yeah, the surgery thing, yeah. It, the robotic surgery and stuff is kind of cool. Um, they, the other issue is that all of this stuff, all of this technology stuff is quite cool, but like, you know, a, a surgical robot that costs $5 million and it requires an expert to operate. Uh, if you look at it in terms of how many lives we're saving with that. It's a very, very small number. Um, whereas I'm very interested in the uh, kind of global, sort of the wider impact, like how can we as individuals make the most difference? And that, that is, it's, it's all the low tech stuff that makes a difference. It's things like, you know, vaccines and good hygiene and not being, and, and you know, uh, losing weight and like not becoming diabetic. And, you know, in the developing world, anti-malaria nets, like sim simple, simple things that if we poured money into them would save so many more lives than spending billions on developing a surgical robot. That's kind of my, my, my take on that. Now that's, that's better from the last one that you clubbed them and now it completely makes sense. On that point. <laughs> Just give me a second. I'm getting calls, sorry. So. Very uh, popular, man. So, <laughs> So I was very unproductive with my days, right? I used to wake up at 3 p.m., do some freelance work and do some assignments here and there and, you know, uh, play some video games. And then the day goes into the night and my Netflix session starts. So I watch a series called uh, One More Episode. So I watch that series and I watch another episode of that episode. So, you know what? Uh, I thought to be productive and I wanted to watch some videos of yours and to my luck you uploaded the video called day in the life during lockdown and it was titled studying cooking and netflix mm. and then i realized okay uh, i wasn't expecting that but we are similar now <laughs> <laughs> yeah man i'm one of the people i watch netflix too <laughs> Oh. And I bought a PlayStation the other day. I need to open it today. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a vlog today, hence the camera. Um, so I'm going to do an unboxing of the PlayStation and stuff. <laughs> so I'm going to become a complete waste man, basically. That's good. I mean, sometimes it's okay to do the stuff you want because, you know what, if you don't have anything lined up, then it's okay. But I still feel that, that I'm being unproductive. That's what I felt. So after watching your videos, I was like, okay, it's okay. <laughs> That's it. Uh, yeah, it kind of depends what you're aiming for. As long as you're doing what makes you happy and, you know, living in service to your future self. Like The, the, the way I think about it is that uh, in a year's time, will I be glad about how I spent my time today? And for me, if I spend all day watching Netflix, the answer is probably not. Uh, but if I can do something useful <laughs> in the daytime and then maybe watch an episode of 
the last dance or whatever in the evening. I'll be like, yeah, well, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, that's good. So uh, I'm coming from a student's perspective now. All right, let's start with that question. I've been getting this a lot. So there's a lot of students that message me like after my podcast. I'm not that popular, but by the grace of God, we are doing good. 400 listeners. And I've uh, built a small, small community that, uh, you know, after each podcast, I go ahead and take people's opinions. Like, what did you like? Like, what should I improve on? So they message me and say, Afan bhai, uh, most, these are mostly juniors. So these, they are in their first year in college and we've got four year degree, yeah. not three year degree. So they come yeah. and say, Afan bhai, uh, uh, person A has been doing courses, internships and building a really amazing portfolio. And... Uh, He's going to land a job before finishing the bachelor's. I'm really scared. So like, why are you scared? <laughs> You're in your first year. You shouldn't be scared. And then he goes in like, uh, okay, fun, but what should I do? I was like, you're in first year, explore. If you want to learn programming, go ahead and learn it, but make something out of it. And why do you care about people? Why do you listen to people? They won't come in your bad. They won't come in your good. All they are are just a backdrop audience that won't come in your way. So, these people, right? These students, they are adding certifications to your LinkedIn. They are doing all that stuff. They are trying to network, but they are done, they aren't able. They would. They don't want to learn. All they want to do is just land a job. So, I try to explain them this thing, but they all fall back into the same trap of comparison. Even though you said them, you told them that, like you recommend them to do this. So, how do you think? you can help that kind of students because I want to help that kind of fellow students. So what's your take on this? How can you help them? So you want to help them with what? With landing a job or? So, you know, with being brown comes the pressures <laughs> from parents. So they have to land a job as soon as they are done with the bachelors. And sometimes it's indirect, sometimes it's direct, sometimes it isn't. But most of the time, these students are very concerned about their future, like just after four years. So how can we help them? Um, it's hard to say really. So I'm, I'm very biased on this front. So my advice to anyone in this position would always be, you know, don't try and get a job by the traditional route. Actually, I have an idea. Uh, um, I have a book, I have an amazing book. I can't find my amazing book. It disappeared. Anyway, there is a book. There's a book that everyone should read. It's called The Third Door. Have you, have you read this? Okay. Uh, um, link it on. <laughs> so. Cool. Yeah. The, the Third Door by Alex Balian. And the, it's, it's an amazing book. It's a, it's a genuinely life-changing book. It made me cry at the end. And someone, it, it is the perfect book for the sort of person that you're describing. The analogy that he uses in The Third Door is that life is like a nightclub there are only three ways in. There is the main entrance where people are queuing up for five blocks waiting to be let in. There is the second entrance, which is for the billionaires and the celebrities, where they can just kind of say hello to the bouncer and walk in. But what no one tells you is that in life, in everything, there is always a third door. There is, you know, the side entrance in the back alley, you knock on the kitchen window, you like break open the kitchen window, you like go in, you make friends with the kitchen staff, you kind of go in. There is always a third door into the nightclub. and every successful person and this guy's interviewed people like bill gates and uh, you know lady gaga and steven spielberg every successful person um they have always used the third door so i would say to the people that you're talking to 
they are all lining up outside this nightclub with 6,000 other people hoping that someone is going to let them in. And that is not the way to go about it. F figure out where the third door is. Um, figure out what you can do to build your own portfolio in an interesting way that is different to what other people are doing. Potentially, and yeah, it's, <laughs> you know, this, I need to land a job. Okay, fine, how are you gonna land a job? By competing with 6,000 other people? Mm, okay, well, good luck. Uh, I'm, I've never been a fan of competing. And there's another phrase I like, which is, rather than trying to be the best, try to be the only. Like, it's much better to be the only person doing the stuff that you're doing, to be unique in this niche you've covered up for yourself, rather than be like, oh, you know, I'm gonna compete with these 10, 10 million other people that are all trying, trying to land the, land the same job. And there's no easy answer, answer to that. Like, if there, if there was a prescription for how you can find the third door, it wouldn't be the third door anymore. It would be, a, you know, just boost your CV, just get some internships, get some work experience, and then you can line up with 5,000 other people. Um, if there is one thing, that thing would be putting yourself out there online. If you can put yourself out there online in whatever capacity, you can build up an audience, build up a following by providing valuable free content over a very long period of time. That is one of the quickest ways to do this third door path. Because, you know, who knows if, let's say you're, you know, I've got a friend who's super into shell offshore oil rigs. That's his, like jam. He just loves offshore oil rigs. Uh, and, you know, if he were to start a blog where he writes about his interest in offshore oil rigs and becomes the world expert in offshore oil rigs, which is not that hard because no one is doing it. At that point, when he wants to land a job, who knows, the person interviewing him might be reading his blog. And that is a very different job interview than, hi, I'm one of 5,000 other candidates that want this job. So putting yourself out there online is one of the best... Easiest ways, it's not easy. It, it takes work over a long period of time, but it's one of the most surefire ways you can kind of think more in a third door fashion. But yeah, everyone should read that book. I know people in your audience would probably take issue with buying something from the internet. So you can torrent the book, you can find a PDF. I'm sure the author won't mind. It's a life-changing book. You, you've got to read it, The Third Door by Alex Banner. Yeah, amazing. So basically, it's jab, 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 right? Believing on the content. Basically, jab, jab, jab. Yeah, jab, jab, jab. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right then, five minutes on the queue. Uh, you, on your recent video, you taught how to make money online. And we've seen mm. like freelancing and selling your services, then selling your products. In general, it gives a really good idea to make your career online. And based on the things that you weren't even studying about, you can make things by learning yeah. online. So, uh, here in India, if you are on Upwork, I've been on Upwork. I left Upwork like one month ago and it's because it's a lot of competition and when the competition yeah. comes in, uh, if you are an Indian or like someone from here, then they're going to get lower pay. And yeah. these contracts don't bring you anywhere. So how do you think we can start like freelancing from India? Um, okay. What are you freelancing in? I, I'm doing my freelancing in video editing. Just like... <laughs> Someone I know. Okay. Okay. So, so you're doing your freelance in, in video editing. And at, it sounds like at the moment you've gone down the upward route where you're queuing up with 50,000 other people who are all video editors, want, just, just wanting to land a job. If I were you, as a video editor, I would be active on Twitter. I would actively reach out to people that I admire. So, for example, you would tweet to me, you would tweet at Matthew Bellatomic, like whatever YouTubers you watch. Possibly even people who are kind of less big. I'm thinking people with like 10,000 subscribers, 20,000 subscribers, and say to them, look, I'm a video editor. I will edit three of your videos completely free of charge. All you have to do is send me the raw files and I'll edit them as if it was my own business. And I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely gonna blow you away with my video editing 
marketing skills. I don't want anything to come of it, but you know, afterwards, if you like these three videos, maybe maybe we can consider working together. And if not, it'll be good for my portfolio. Do that enough times, and very very quickly, you'll get hired by a YouTuber to be their editor because everyone needs an editor, and everyone thinks I would love to have an editor, but I can't afford an editor. So if you can create a, a compelling sales page by going this third door route rather than hoping that someone will go on Upwork and type in, I need a video editor. That will be the, the, the way forward. Equally, if you're an illustrator, like work for free. Like you have to start off working for free. Like find someone you admire and, you know, make something for them. Like, and, and keep on keep doing that. And, and very quickly, you're going to find people who they're going to reshare your work. They're going to follow your portfolio, like whatever. It's, 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 it's a way to do it. If I were, if I were doing freelance today, I, I would not, I, I would not go on Upwork and hope that someone picks me. I would, I would pick myself and I would put my work in front of the people that, that I, I care about. So I used your technique, by the way, I've already used it. Um, and by the grace of God, Alhamdulillah, I'm very successful with it. I already landed nice. contracts with it. I messaged people on Twitter. Can you come here? Can I do the video for you? And they hired me. So yeah, it works. Nice. Fantastic. It works. Absolutely works. So I was actually asking. And it sounds like your audience. And, 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 and it sounds like you're quite a third door kind of guy because you've got this podcast and most people don't have a podcast. So, you know, you're ahead of the curve in terms of, yeah. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> so we are almost at the last two minutes. So it's almost time for my last question. Last question, right? What did you think of this podcast? And please give me your honest opinions because I need to improve. I know that. Uh, no, it's cool. Uh, I'm, I would say I'm not really sure what your target audience is for the podcast. Um, what is your target audience for the podcast? Oh, on the podcast, it's uh, students and normal people, bigger C, uh, normal people. What am I talking about? People who are interested in getting out of things like, you know, uh, trying to be an entrepreneur or trying to be into getting into freelancing or trying to motivate productivity. I guess I'm trying to be in the same genre, but in a different way. I'm, I'm also into tech. So, so it's just between tech and life. Simple tech, life, technical kind of thing. So for that, how do you think I can improve? And what's the thing I can do? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure there's much to improve, really. I think it's a case of just like really focusing down on who your target audience is and what your value proposition is. Because, yeah, we, we talked about when you're starting out, you want to start out quite niche. And podcast for students interested in life and tech and philosophy and stuff in general is not very niche at all. It's very, very broad. And there are millions of those podcasts out there. Like, why would someone want to listen to you rather than to Tim Ferriss, for example? Um, so I, what I would suggest tentatively is that figure out how you can kind of really narrow it down. Be like, this is a podcast for Indian students interested in making money online. Even then, that's probably too broad because there, there are probably loads of those. <laughs> um, and, then, and then once you start doing that, then, yeah. Uh, the, 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 the other thing is... Um, you didn't mention the the name of your podcast at the start, and so, so in terms of kind of name is, didn't really name it. <laughs> no, so yeah, it, just in terms of branding, like I don't know what podcast I'm on right now. So if I say, "Oh, guys, you, you should check out," uh, uh, didn't really name if it. If I say, "Guys, you should check out a Farm Pies podcast," they're going to type in a Farm Pie into you know <laughs> Spotify, and nothing's going to happen. So, so just a little bit kind of the branding elements. <laughs> yeah, the name of the podcast is "Didn't Really Name It." Oh, nice. That's clever. So, okay. So the August meetup is still on? Uh, yeah, it can be if you want. We can do part two. 
and I'm really excited for that. So cool. Good stuff. This has been fun. Catch you later. Thanks for having me.